This is Healthline, a joint venture of WTIC News Talk 1080 and Yale Cancer Center. Yale Cancer Center is a resource for cancer programs throughout Connecticut, developing new advances in prevention, screening, diagnosis, and treatment. On Healthline, you'll hear from some of the leading doctors in the country. Healthline is not intended to provide medical advice. Yale Cancer Center urges you to consult with a qualified physician in your community for diagnosis and for answers to your medical questions. And now, our co-hosts, oncologists Ken Miller and Ed Chu. Good morning and welcome to Healthline. My name is Dr. Ken Miller and I'm the director of the survivorship program at the Yale Cancer Center in New Haven. I'm here in the WTIC studios with my colleague and co-host, Dr. Ed Chu, who is the chief adult oncologist at the Yale Cancer Center. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Ken. Healthline with the Yale Cancer Center is our way of providing you with most up-to-date information on cancer care every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. here on this station, WTIC News Talk 1080. Our Healthline program features some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer right here in our state of Connecticut. Each week, Ed and I will be joined by a different expert from the Yale Cancer Center. Together, we will discuss the myths about cancer, the latest treatment available to people with cancer, and advances in clinical research. Our goal is to give you help by providing information, but we also want to give you hope in, uh, in the battle that, that is being fought with cancer throughout our country. If you'd like to submit a question about Cancer to Healthline, please email us at healthline at yale.edu, or you can also call us, and you can, I'd ask you to write down this number, 1-888-234-4YCC. And we will try to answer your questions on the air today or in a future uh, broadcast. Today, our program focuses on skin cancer. And this is an especially relevant topic as May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. And our special guest is Dr. David LaFell, Professor of Dermatology and Surgery and Chief of the Section of Dermatologic Surgery and Cutaneous Oncology at the Yale School of Medicine and author of the book Total Skin, which is the definitive guide to whole skin care. David, thanks so much for being with us today on Healthline. It's good to be here. Uh, David, I want to start out by asking you, what are the different types of skin cancer? There are really two broad categories of skin cancer. The first is melanoma, which is a cancer of the pigment cells of the skin. Uh, The second category is what we call non-melanoma skin cancer, and that is by far much more common than melanoma. And that includes basal cell cancer, the most common cancer in humans, and squamous cell cancer. How do these non-melanoma skin cancers arise? Current scientific evidence suggests that the vast majority of basal cell cancers and squamous cell cancers are actually caused by ultraviolet radiation that comes from the sun. And is there an association between, say, these sunspots and or moles and and people developing skin cancer? There are uh, growths that people develop as a result of long-term sun exposure called actinic keratoses. It's a tough word to remember, but it really reflects and refers to precancerous growths that people develop, people who are prone to skin cancer develop on sun-exposed areas such as the face and the back of the hands. These actinic keratoses, or precancerous growths, often are uh, little rough bumps. Sometimes they're reddish or pink in color. And how long does it usually take for skin cancer to eventually develop? Well, that's a great question. We used to think that it took many, many years uh, for skin cancer to develop, and that's why we used to see it most commonly in people in their 60s and 70s. But over the past decade, I would say, we've seen a change 
in the incidence of skin cancer and in the types of people that get it. So to zero in on your question, uh, we think that if you get enough sun exposure, skin cancer can take just a few decades to develop. Uh, David, there's something I, I don't completely understand, which is years ago, uh, I think probably most of us did not know about sunblock. In fact, people used to put on you know, a, a special lotion to get a suntan or get a sunburn. Uh, there's obviously been much more of an emphasis on using sunblock. I know from my kids, I've been uh, obviously very religious about it. So given that, why is it that, that we're hearing more and more about, about skin cancer and especially about non-melanoma skin cancer? Well, I think, uh, in fact, that non-melanoma skin cancer is probably epidemic in this country. Uh, we understand so much more now about how the sun causes skin cancer. In fact, a lot of the work done uh, understanding the genetics of skin cancer and how ultraviolet radiation causes skin cancer was done by researchers at the Yale Cancer Center. Uh, specifically, we know that ultraviolet radiation causes a mutation in a cancer gene. And when you get repeated exposures to the sun, those mutations accumulate almost like compound interest over time. So that if you get sun exposure in childhood and then get it in your teen years and then young adulthood, you'll eventually get enough mutations that it will lead to first these precancerous growths or directly in some cases to basal cell cancer or squamous cell cancer. Uh, I think that the reason that we're hearing more and more about it now is because those people that were of the post-war generation when there was increased leisure time, more opportunity to take vacation and go in the sun, have now come of age. And the baby boomers are the ones that have skin cancer. And notably, even people that are in their 20s and 30s are now developing skin cancer. Well, I want to follow up with that for for again, our, uh, the next generation, for people that are now in their, uh, in their teens and their 20s, would your, would your guess be that the incidence of this skin type of skin cancer might decrease, or is it going to go the other way? We hope that the public education efforts that have been going on now for a couple of decades uh, would be having an impact. We know that in Australia, which used to have a very high incidence of melanoma, public education uh, recommending caution in the sun has been paying off. Here's the problem, though. We know that the majority of sun exposure occurs in the first 18 years of life. I've already mentioned how the damage that you're exposed to then accumulates over time. So if we're able to educate uh, people, parents out there, to protect children from the harmful effects of the sun, I think going forward we'll see a decrease in skin cancer. And David, in terms of sun exposure, we hear a lot about the use of um, sunscreens versus sunblock. Can you perhaps you know, explain to our listening audience the differences and which one you, you recommend? Well, there are really two different categories. Sunblock represent chemicals that function as a literal block. Examples are ingredients such as titanium dioxide or zinc oxide, which everyone is familiar with as that white cream that uh, you used to put on your nose and hopefully still put on your nose in some fashion when you're out in the sun. These sun blocks actually prevent the ultraviolet rays from get getting to the skin in the first place. Sunscreen are products that contain chemicals that actually absorb the ultraviolet radiation of the sun and in a sense deflect it from getting to your skin cells and causing genetic damage there. 
All right, so here's a very practical question. If someone uh, chooses to use a sunscreen, you know, we're talking about the SPF, uh, what number should they use if they're going to the drugstore and have a lot of choices? Well, we should talk for a moment about SPF. Uh, SPF stands for Sun Protection Factor, and it's a rating that tells you how much ultraviolet B rays are blocked uh, from the skin. Uh, the uh, SPF that's normally recommended is 15 as a minimum, and that means that if you have the type of skin that turns pink after 15 minutes in the sun, you'll be able to get 15 times 15 minutes protection before your skin turns pink again. If it has an SPF of 20, it's 20 times 15. But it's important to realize that SPF ratings just tell you about protection against ultraviolet B. There's another important type of ultraviolet radiation called ultraviolet A. And these waves that also come from the sun penetrate deeper into the skin and also, we believe, can cause cancer. But importantly for many listeners, they are the major cause of premature aging and wrinkling. David, we think of um, sun exposure, obviously, as being the main risk factor for skin cancer. Are there any other risk factors that one needs to think about? There really are. Um, if you're listening to this show now, I want you to think about uh, the list I'm going to give you. If you have red or blonde hair, if your eyes are red, uh, or, excuse me, if your eyes are blue, <laughs> green, or gray, if you have fair skin and tend to burn when you go in the sun rather than tan, if you have a family history of melanoma, or if you yourself have had skin cancer, you are at increased risk for developing non-melanoma skin cancer and should definitely take special precaution when you go out in the sun. And what about the whole issue of uh, tanning salons and tanning parlors, which obviously have become very fashionable, especially for the youngsters uh, in, in the audience, and also perhaps uh, those of us who may, are, who may be getting ready to go to warmer climates and want to kind of get a little preparation before being exposed to, to the real sun, uh, sunlight. Your thoughts on that? Tanning parlors are a major public health problem. Um, they use uh, light bulbs that emit ultraviolet radiation that's very similar to that emitted by the sun mm -hmm. and can cause the same type of mutations, the same type of injury, the same type of sunburn that natural sunlight can cause. Uh, here's the problem. I mentioned earlier that we used to see skin cancer primarily in people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, it's not infrequent now for those of us that specialize in skin cancer to see someone in their 20s come in with a basal cell cancer or a squamous cell cancer. This used to be unheard of. And although the uh, cause of this is not clear, we do know from our own experience that almost every one of these patients that I'm familiar with has used a tanning parlor in their teen years. Uh, some states actually regulate access to tanning parlors by uh, uh, minors. Uh, in Connecticut, we haven't had success in doing that, though the Dermatology Society continues to lobby for ways to protect children from the harmful effects of the sun. So, so in your view, David, is, is there such a thing as a healthy tan? There really isn't. In fact, a tan is your body's response to the injury caused by ultraviolet radiation. And certainly, people who have the uh, risk factors I mentioned earlier are at greatest risk. But if you have darker skin, if you tan, you're not out of the woods. And you should still use sunscreen and protect yourself from the harmful effects of the sun. We see frequently individuals who tan coming in with skin cancer. 
Well, we'd like to remind you to uh, email your questions to us at healthline at yale.edu. Uh, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute, and please stay tuned to learn more information about skin cancer with Dr. David LaFell from the Yale Cancer Center. This year, over 170,000 Americans will be diagnosed with lung cancer. More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are smoking-related. Quitting smoking, even after decades of use, can significantly reduce an individual's risk of developing lung cancer. Each day, patients with lung cancer are surviving the disease due to increased access to advanced therapies and specialized care. New treatment options and surgical techniques are giving lung cancer survivors more hope than they've ever had before. Clinical trials are currently underway at Yale Cancer Center, Connecticut's only federally designated comprehensive cancer center, to test innovative new treatments for lung cancer. Patients enrolled in these trials are given access to newly available medicines, which have not yet been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center. For more information, visit our website at YaleCancerCenter.org. Welcome back to Healthline. This is Dr. Ken Miller, and I'm in the WTIC studios with my co-host, Dr. Ed Chu, and our guest, Dr. David LaFell from the Yale Cancer Center, who is a well-known expert in the area of skin cancer. Uh, David, I want to start out the second part of the program by asking you, uh, what, should, what should our uh, listening audience look for? How would they, uh, how would they recognize if they had uh, uh, skin cancer? That's a great uh, question because so often uh, people develop spots on their skin and if they're knowledgeable about skin cancer, certainly if they're in one of the high-risk groups with fair skin, blue, green, or gray eyes, uh, blonde hair, they have special reason to want to know whether that growth on the tip of their nose or on their cheek is concerning. Basically, you want to look into any growth that bleeds, then heals up, and comes back again very often. And I would actually say, in my experience, that's the most common complaint. When you ask a patient, when did you first notice it? They'll tell you, well, it started to bleed. I noticed blood on my pillow, and then it healed up. So what happens is they make an appointment to see the dermatologist. It heals up. They cancel the appointment, but the skin cancer is slowly growing beneath the surface. And it's important to point out here that basal cell cancer does not spread in the bloodstream like a melanoma. It just grows locally, but it does grow slowly if untreated. The other thing uh, that people might notice is... um, a new bump that develops almost looks like a pimple but pimples go away after a couple of weeks so if you have a new growth that's red uh, that doesn't resolve that's rough uh, you should have it checked out by your dermatologist and and again so if any of these uh, suspicious lesions should pop up because I know a lot of uh, individuals might uh, initially seek uh, medical care from their primary care provider their their general internist would, would you suggest really going directly to a dermatologist skilled in uh, treating skin disorders? Well, fortunately, more and more primary care doctors are getting exposure to dermatology in their training, and internists understand uh, what basal cell cancer and squamous cell cancer look like. So certainly when you see your primary care doctor for your annual exam, make sure that you ask them about any specific areas of concern. And similarly, if uh, you feel that a dermatologist would be able to provide you with more direct information, by all means, ask for a referral to a dermatologist. You started talking a little bit about uh, uh, how this type of cancer, basal cell cancer, 
doesn't spread. And, and, and it made me uh, think about the fact that truly the prognosis for people with skin cancer is very good. Um, I mean, can you say a little bit more about uh, if someone is afraid, is concerned they have skin cancer, should, should, they, should they be afraid to go to the doctor? Should they be worried about the prognosis? Or, or how really, how might they look at that, uh, at that visit? Uh, I think that uh, it's quite true that basal cell cancer uh, grows very slowly and does not travel in the bloodstream as a general rule. So the prognosis is superb. Uh, If the lesion is properly removed, the odds of it coming back are very low. It is true that if you've had one basal cell cancer and you have the type of skin that puts you at risk and you've had exposure to sun that puts you at risk, you probably have a 40% chance of getting another one within five years. But overall, it's really to be viewed as a... uh, cancer that's easily treated, easily removed, with relatively few implications more broadly for your health. Squamous cell cancer, similarly, when diagnosed early, falls into the same cure category as basal cell cancer. Very rarely, if squamous cell cancer of the skin is neglected, it can travel to the lymph nodes. But if you're uh, diligent and if you're able to overcome any hesitancy to see your doctor and get it diagnosed, you should be in great shape. And David, maybe just following up on your last point, uh, so how is skin skin cancer uh, diagnosed? Well, all diagnoses in the skin begin with looking at the skin and looking at a growth or a lesion. And if your doctor, your dermatologist has a suspicion that the growth is a skin cancer, he or she will recommend a biopsy, which is a very quick and easy procedure. It involves injecting a small amount of local anesthetic that does pinch a bit when you do it, but instantly the skin is numb, and a small shave or punch biopsy is done. That little sample of tissue is then sent off to the laboratory, and a diagnosis is then returned, whether it's a basal cell cancer, a squamous cell cancer, or in fact nothing to worry about. If the biopsy reveals that it is a skin cancer, then additional treatment is usually needed. How good uh, are are doctors in general, whether it be primary care doctors, dermatologists, or dermatologic surgeons like yourself, in terms of predicting based on the appearance whether something will be a basal cell or a squamous cell cancer? Uh, Studies have been done over the years, and uh, depending on the study that you're looking at and the specialty you're looking at and their training, uh, those people that treat skin disorders on a regular basis probably have a 90% accuracy uh, when they identify something and suspect it's a skin cancer and biopsy proves that it is probably 90% of the time. And David, perhaps if you could uh, elaborate a little bit more, once a diagnosis of skin cancer is actually made, uh, what types of Uh, procedures, surgery, non-surgical, are then implemented. So the good news is that once a diagnosis of basal cell cancer or squamous cell cancer has been made, the treatments are not only quite easy, but also highly effective. So for skin cancers that are relatively low risk, that are on the trunk or arms or legs, um, a simple scraping and burning is more than adequate. If the skin cancer occurs uh, on the head and neck area, especially on the face where the vast majority of skin cancers occur, uh, surgical excision is often indicated, and the Mohs technique, uh, named after Frederick Mohs, who invented the method, is often selected as a relatively sophisticated form of treating skin cancer. Now, by the way, I have to make a personal report, but a a first-degree family member of mine has uh, recently uh, was found to have skin cancer, and David, you operated... uh, uh, on her 
and uh, and and thankfully, you know, what I learned from this was it's a fairly simple procedure and very well tolerated. And, and I guess I, I I would love to spread the message and, and reinforce what you just said, which is that this is a curable disease, and um, and that for you know people who are afraid they have skin cancer to definitely go to their doctor and, and have it treated. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, take a, a break in just a minute for a Survivor's Minute. Again, I would encourage you to uh, please uh, email us your questions at healthline at yale.edu, or you can also call us at 888-234-4YCC. And again, we're going to take a short break and then be back uh, for more discussion with Dr. David LaFell, who's the author of the book, Total Skin. A few years ago, the diagnosis of cancer was a death sentence for many patients. But today, thanks to advances in clinical research, we're turning the corner in the battle against cancer. There are over 10 million cancer survivors now living in the U.S. They are the true heroes in the war against cancer. Here's the story of a hero from Fairfield. I visited a walk-in clinic on Christmas Eve in 1999 because I thought I had the flu. The doctor there suspected that it was something more serious, and as he examined my belly, he found a mass. I was referred to Dr. Tom Rutherford, a gynecologic oncologist and researcher at Yale Cancer Center, where I had surgery and received chemotherapy for stage 2 ovarian cancer. Because of early detection, excellent treatment, and the benefit of the latest research, I recently celebrated six years as a cancer survivor. Today, I'm a fervent believer that women should pay attention to changes in their bodies and should not be reluctant to tell their physicians any concerns they have, even those they feel might sound trivial. Early detection is the best way to cure cancer. This survivor story has been brought to you by Yale Cancer Center. Welcome back to Healthline. This is Dr. Ken Miller, and I'm in the WTIC studios with my co-host, Dr. Ed Chu, and our guest, Dr. David LaFell from the Yale Cancer Center. And we're discussing the risk factors, detection, and treatment of skin cancer. David, in, in our last segment, uh, why don't we focus a little bit on, on some of the cutting-edge uh, treatment uh, strategies and diagnostic strategies that are being taken here at the Yale Cancer Center. So I guess one, one question uh, is, uh, you know, are there some new techniques and methods that can scan the body to detect skin cancer? Uh, there's a lot in the media about machines, imaging devices that can scan the body and detect skin cancer. The reality is that the best computer is still between the two ears of the dermatologist. And many of these devices are very helpful. They're very impressive, uh, but they don't really make the diagnosis. Uh, they're helpful in individuals who have multiple moles, which relates more to melanoma than it does to basal cell cancer. All right, David, I want to share with you an email we received from uh, uh, Hal, who lives in Farmington. Uh, he said that I had a, a, a squamous cell cancer of the skin uh, five years ago that was treated with surgery, and I'm doing well. But am I at risk of developing other types of cancer other than skin cancer? There have been studies that looked at people that had multiple, many squamous cell cancers of the skin or basal cell cancers of the skin and suggested a increased incidence of internal malignancies like colon cancer and lung cancer, but I don't think that that data has been very well established, and I certainly don't have the impression from my practice that individuals are at an increased risk. David, earlier on in the first segment of the, of the show, we talked about uh, the genetics of skin cancer. Perhaps you could elaborate a little bit more to our listening audience. Uh, this is an area that we're especially interested in. The skin cancer unit at, at the Yale Cancer Center isn't just focused on taking care of patients, although that's our primary mission. What we've done is taken advantage of the very large amount of uh, 
patient material and uh, individuals that come to us to pursue research to understand skin cancer better. And in 1996, led by Alan Bale, uh, we discovered the gene that leads to skin cancer. It's called the patched gene. And uh, what's been very rewarding is that uh, very recently we concluded a research study that looked at a new topical agent uh, in patients that have a large number of skin cancers to try to determine whether the effects of this gene could be manipulated. So it's really very cutting edge. We're not anywhere near the point of being able to make any particular treatment available, but it's an important step in understanding how we can take advantage of the research at the cancer center and turn it to the benefit of the patient. So now that we have the gene identified, is there any blood test that can be taken in order to identify which patients are at increased risk for developing skin cancer? There is a blood test that allows us to see if people have an abnormality in that skin cancer gene, but it's not recommended for people that have the occasional skin cancer. It's more for people where we suspect they have one of the rare inherited forms of skin cancer. Now I want to go back to this uh, very exciting information about uh, about this uh, topical medication. I realize this may be many years before it, it's available, but but essentially, how would something like that work? How how would a how would a cream put on the skin potentially uh, help someone who's had skin cancer? Well, the, the one that I just referred to has an effect on some of the chemical reactions that take place uh, downstream, so to speak, uh, in the cell life cycle. But the reality is that there is something available today, a topical agent, which we are using for certain types of skin cancers, and its chemical name is Amiquimod, and its brand name, listeners may know it as Aldara. And this is a, a fascinating cream because what it does is you put it on the skin and it turns on the body's own immune system. It harnesses your body's own ability to fight cancer and stimulates a reaction in the skin and in certain types of basal cell cancer, it's proven quite effective. So we are, under certain circumstances, able to avoid surgery altogether by using this cream. And most dermatologists uh, throughout the state are familiar with it. That's really quite fascinating. Are, are there any other clinical trials that either you or members in your group are actively involved with here at the Yale Cancer Center? There's an interesting study that we're doing now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of information that suggests that vitamin A has an anti-cancer effect, that carotene, uh, which is a form of vitamin A, is beneficial in preventing cancer. But it's been very difficult to do large studies. Um, because you have to draw blood and measure it. And we're actually doing a study now where we're using a laser, we're shining it on the skin, and we're seeing if we can detect levels of carotene in the skin, thereby using that type of non-invasive measurement to go out and do studies and find out whether dietary habits do in fact affect the development of cancer. Dave, I want to share another uh, uh, question. Fairly quick email with you, but it leads to a broader question. This is uh, uh, Beth from Bloomfield. She says, is, is it essential to wear sunscreen in the winter months? So I'm going to leave that as a question. And then also say to you more broadly, because we keep talking about sunscreen, is there anything else people should be doing in terms of diet? The uh, number one thing that you can do, that you should do to prevent, your, to prevent uh, skin cancer is protect yourself from the harmful effects of the sun. And you can do that. Uh, you have to do that, really, in a comprehensive program. Number one, 
wear a sunscreen while active outdoors, reapply it every couple of hours when you're active, certainly after swimming. Um, the question about using it during the winter months largely depends on whether she spends her winter in Florida or not. But in reality, <laughs> Good question. Um, the uh, sunscreen should really be worn on a regular basis. Uh, you also, when you're out in the sun, want to wear a broad-brimmed hat. A baseball cap will only protect your forehead and your nose, and yet we see skin cancer very frequently on the tops of the ears. Uh, there's great sun protective clothing available now that doesn't look like a prison uniform, uh, very stylish, and carries an SPF rating. And importantly, you should avoid the sun between the peak hours of 10 and 3. Well, we're going to close in a couple minutes. Uh, David, I want, and, and again, if you have questions, we would encourage you to uh, please look at our website, which is the uh, YaleCancerCenter.org, for more information and for more resources uh, that are available to you. Before we uh, sign off, David, can you review for us the two or three key messages that you would like our listeners to remember about uh, skin cancer? Well, I think that um, when it comes to early diagnosis, if you have a bump that bleeds and heals up, when in doubt, check it out. That's number one. Number two, you want to practice good sun prevention. You want to avoid going to tanning parlors, obviously. You want to wear sunscreen, uh, sun protective clothing, and avoid the sun during peak hours. And you want to make sure that if you've had a skin cancer diagnosed, that you're obtaining the most sophisticated and advanced approach to the management of that skin cancer. Well, again, I'd like to thank Dr. David LaFell from the Yale Cancer Center for joining us on Healthline. Yeah, David, thanks for such an informative session, and especially since May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. Hopefully our, our listeners uh, uh, out there will uh, pay special heed and attention to, I think, all of your uh, wise words. And remember, tune in to WTIC News Talk 1080 every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. for Healthline with the Yale Cancer Center. Our next program will focus on ovarian cancer, a very important topic, and our show will feature Dr. Tom Rutherford, Associate Professor of Gynecologic Oncology and one of the nation's leading uh, GYN oncology experts at the Yale School of Medicine. Until then, this is Dr. Ed Chu and Dr. Ken Miller from the Yale Cancer Center wishing you a safe and healthy week. You've been listening to Healthline, a joint venture of Yale Cancer Center and WTIC News Talk 1080. Join us next Sunday morning from 830 to 9 a.m. for another edition of Healthline on WTIC News Talk 1080.